welcome to Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today uh, we're going to dig into, well, three important topics. First off, I'm going to report back from the Podcast Movement Conference, something that's become probably the, the biggest and most important event in the growing podcast industry, such as it is. I attended there at the end of July. And Jennifer, you're going to report back from Radio Day by the Bay, which is an amazing annual event celebrating radio. And then we're going to do our annual critical analysis of the Princeton Review's best college radio stations list that they release every year. And Jennifer... Because somebody has to. (laughs) Jennifer takes a knife to it with surgical precision and and we will take it apart. It's like back to school shopping. Like it is. <laughs> coming back around every year to the Princeton Review top college list. But it, as long as they keep releasing it, and I know it, it could feel to us like it's the same argument every year, but we know that there are folks tuning in who were unaware this list ever existed. Maybe you've heard of the Princeton Review. You know, you know that they review colleges and, and tell, help give students guidance on where they might want to go for school. We want to tell you why you need to take it with a grain of salt, but that's later on in the show. They, definitely going to do they, that. They appear to care about college radio, which on its face is important to us. We care a lot about college radio. So, so when, a, when a publication such as the Princeton Review writes about it, it's worth noting here on Radio Survivor. And, and it's the sort of thing that gets headlines. Right. Like, you know, journalists take it seriously. And, and, and you know, they take the Princeton Review seriously. So they write about it. And but, so we want to get out there yeah. and, and, and correct the narrative. But, uh, spoiler yeah. alert. And college, college radio stations take it seriously, right. too. College radio stations take it seriously. And, but spoiler alert, Radio Survivor has a different uh, frame of reference mm-hmm. to what makes a college radio station great and uh, Princeton And, and even how list. you might rank it even yeah. if we can say you can. But, but we'll get to later that. On. That's later on in the show. You know, we are a podcast in addition to being a radio show. Eric is a podcast producer. Jennifer is a podcast producer here with us. I work in podcasts professionally. We see podcasts as part of the spectrum of great radio, of great community media. It's been a great force for, I think, democratizing audio more than uh, and adding and enhancing community radio? I, I, I do want to add that I'm a radio producer. Yes. And I also want to say that that's not just some weird personal uh, wrinkle or grudge that I have against the word podcast. I think they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think being a radio producer and being a podcast producer Well, I think what's happened here is that because podcasting happened without a lot of the assumptions around radio. Right. It allowed it to develop its own structures and genres, if you will. Thank gosh. We needed a little bit of a refreshment of what the genre of uh, audio entertainment called radio meant to people. But, oh, my God, yesterday I was somewhere where someone – I asked a friend, like, what kind of podcast – what kind of narrative podcast do you like? And I was being very specific. I wanted to learn about radio drama – distributed as a podcast and a, and someone else standing next to us started listing off the kinds of podcasts where uh three people come into the room not knowing what they're going to talk about and just talk for 90 minutes and, and they have an you know like everyone thinks when they hear the word podcast uh most people might just think about 
that. You know, that, and that's a great, interesting point to kind of jump into uh, talking about things I picked up at the podcast movement where thousands of people who are podcasters or they're in the industry like I am. I work for a company called Midroll, which owns the Earwolf Podcast Network, the Stitcher Podcast Network, as well as the Stitcher Podcasting app. I work in uh, marketing on the business side, so I help our salespeople sell ads principally. Yeah, and Paul Reese-Mandel, your role at Midroll is is uh, entirely separate from your role at Radio Absolutely, Survivor. It's but it's good background to know. I want yeah. you know for everyone to know. Uh, but I, you know, we're, we're not talking about uh, my, about my job and what I do so much as it gives you some background on why I'm at Podcast Movement. Yeah, and you, but you started at Radio Survivor. Uh, before you started at Midroll, yeah, you, well, you founded Radio Survivor with Jennifer and Matthew. A Lassar. website, a website to focus on uh, the goings ons in community radio. Uh, before you became a professional podcast yes, industry, five years before yeah. I joined the podcast industry, the podcast movement. and I and I'd been a podcaster going back to the early two thousand. So, and a podcast enthusiast for the entire but time. Now, but now you wear a suit. And you go to podcast movement with your suit and tie and loafers. I wore, I wore a jacket for the panel that I participated in. Otherwise, it's a it's a pretty casual affair. I'm sorry to be so uh, like a like a butterfly floating around today on on the radio show. I'll let you focus. But one well, time, I had a friend look me up and down and say, "You look like you dress as a you you look like a community radio person." <laughs> there is a look, and I felt hmm. and I felt very seen. Unfortunately, <laughs> well. Yeah, that's a confusing comment. <laughs> well, you, so you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people have these assumptions about what podcasting is. And so there was an interesting keynote presentation from Tom Webster, who's at Edison Research. Every year, Edison does uh, this big survey of uh, audio listeners to find out how they spend their time, what they're listening to. It's called the Share of Ear Report. Uh, they also do a report on podcast consumer. I usually talk about it every year when it comes out. And so that's the big number of people use to sort of chart the growth of podcasting. And it's now, I think, on a monthly basis, uh, on a weekly basis, about 48 million people listen to podcasts. Um, Americans or people? Americans. Sorry. That's, that's Americans. Fine. People in the U.S. And That's a chunk. Something that uh, Edison Research did was to go out and using sort of this uh, set of research they do, go talk to people who don't listen to podcasts uh-huh. to kind of learn more about why they're not listening. And sort of your idea of like they have preconceived notions, if they even know about what a My podcast mom. is. Um, I think is really informative because, you know, he contends that, that the real tipping point for podcasting is going to be when there's 100 million people listening on okay. a regular basis. That's when it's a truly mainstream phenomenon. They've talked to individuals yeah. who don't listen to podcasts and right. ask them why. why. And they learned, you know, things like 61% said they would listen if there were topics they were interested in. But podcasts cover every single right. but if you, topic under the sun. And 65% said they just don't know where to start. There's so yeah. many podcasts. And I think these are interesting points, right? Because if you have a preconceived notion of what a podcast is, if you think it's just three people jawboning Three men about talking whatever, about comic books. Yeah, right. Or whatever comes to their mind. So it's the, you know, as I used to see in podcast descriptions, it drove me crazy. It was always like, and whatever random thing comes to mind. I'm like, who cares? Yeah. I realize that sounded cute 15 years ago, but when everybody writes it, it's it's mundane. I heard a joke on a podcast that I listened to a couple months ago that was, uh, I think, a Brooklyn-based joke. Is what do you call a group of white men? A podcast. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and luckily, these are things that are changing. But if that's the perception, right, you're telling millions of people, a significant portion of the population, 
If that's their perception, it says to them, podcasts aren't for me. Yeah. There's, I won't be interested because I don't care about comic books or Star Trek. I'm not friends with those three guys. action movies. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. If there's a stereotype about podcasts and if it's hard for people to find them and, you know, seemingly an infinite number of podcasts versus, you know, a terrestrial radio dial where you have a limited number of options, I could see why it could be overwhelming to a lot of people. Exactly. And, and we may not even be comparing it always against radio. We may be comparing it against music as well, uh, that people know how to navigate and figure out what to listen to, right? Um, and to me, that's, you know, it means that there's a lot of potential, right? There's millions more people to join, and there's millions of more people who can be served. And there's something that Tom said, and I liked it because it's something that you and I have said, Eric, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. In giving advice, he's like, "Well, how do you how do you start? You know, let people know about your show. How do you you know that? That's what people always want to know. How do you market it? So you've got a podcast. You want people. He's like, start working your own networks. Work in your own town. Yeah. He said that's the most powerful way." to sort of build your audience is to talk with people who might like your show. And that's the entry point, right? For most people don't start listening to podcasts the way sort of maybe I did because I'm a radio nerd. So when the idea of a podcast became real in the early two thousands, I mean, it's just instantly like, well, I just want to hear this thing. I I, I just want to be there. I think that it is possible that I listened to every podcast I mean, I, I thought that I had, right, I, there weren't that, many. that I knew about each and every one of these podcasts at one point, what, 2006. I, yeah. I know, I knew every single one. Yes, yeah, so it felt I sought that way. them out. Right. It wasn't true. But I think, you know, I've, I've since learned because of some shows that we've produced here on Radio Survivor that there were some under the radar podcasts I missed out on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there, link yes, in the show notes. True. What was, what was that one where we, we learned about the, um, the women's contribution to the early history of podcasting and how, right. uh, some of their, some of their early contributions to what a podcast was were sort of, um, not Didn't maybe get as much attention as over. another. Not yeah. as visible. Yeah. yeah. Not as visible. Early early women's contribution, which was which was so fascinating, uh mirrored almost identically uh women's early contribution to the history of broadcast radio. Right. That in the beginning women women and their ability to speak into microphones and have a good time and create great radio was integral to to building this medium. And then they were sort of systematically and radio disinvited disinvited yeah. to the national well, and sadly yeah. you know sadly that seems to happen in every industry you can think of yeah. where we're constantly uncovering the hidden contributions of women that have been part of everything you can think of um you know traveling this summer i learned about molly pitchers who were you know women who carried water to men fighting during battle in and, the world in of, the revolutionary war yeah, Molly Pitcher some of the was women... from New Jersey. Oh. So growing up in New Jersey, you learned that history. <laughs> That's cool. See, I never knew that. Right, and... but I, I assumed everyone knew it because, but I realized that there's like a Molly Pitcher rest stop on the on the turnpike. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we saw a painting of Molly Pitcher and um, of one of the Molly Pitchers. You know, I guess yeah. it becomes a generic term for any woman bringing water, um, and you know, some of them ended up um, operating cannons and and serving important roles in addition to just bringing water and that was something i had never heard of until a few months ago right with so, luck yeah there i think maybe with podcasting you know we have an opportunity here because it's a young medium not to repeat 
the sins of the past, right? But it will. But already we can see that where it's happened, right? Where where women's contributions have been overlooked. Yeah. Uh, to put it to put it kindly, um, but as we go forward, I think there's a great opportunity for women's you know for women not to be then systematically disinvited from the party, but instead uh, invited and promoted to to the to the forward and lots of people who are systematically otherwise have been disinvited from the party and radio and television and other media but I, I wanted to go down the road a little bit more with this idea like you know that for podcasts then right it seems like the road in for new audiences is there is something they can get in a podcast that in some way or form isn't somewhere else or is in a form that is not somewhere else something that brings you in and you're like oh i that is so interesting to me you know podcast schmodcast i'm going to listen to it Mm -hmm. and i think something which tom webster's been talking about i think i've also talked about here on the show in the past is right it's looking for the for the shows you know for the industry it's probably looking for a show that all of a sudden has really mass appeal Right. That, that is sort of the equivalent of a number one show on television will probably bring a lot of people in because their friends will be talking about it. Mm-hmm. And we've had shows as sort of, you know, people talk about the serial moment uh-huh. for people who know about serial, which was a, a true crime podcast released about three years ago. A highly, highly produced, um, extremely scripted documentary, super duper well put together, you know, a thousand, thousand, thousand human hours of labor. And there's acknowledgement that it that it brought in a lot of new audience. Although, (laughs) you know, one might also argue though it wasn't a show that had the kind of appeal of, for lack of a better example, like a a Big Bang Theory, or you know that it had a a big appeal amongst tastemakers, the kind of people who read and write for the New York Times. All of a sudden, brought this brought podcasting in front of them where maybe they weren't paying attention because they thought it was just three dudes talking or yeah. comedians, uh, you know, who who were sort of over the hill in their career, right? Um, but and it brought a lot of new listeners in, but it wasn't the sort of thing yet that was going to become. Um, an enormous phenomenon. Also, you know, it would not necessarily appeal to everyone. Not everyone likes true crime. Not everybody wants to hear about um, an investigation into into somebody who might be uh, behind bars, uh, falsely falsely convicted. So that goes to show that I think that there's wonderful opportunities for anyone in, in, who's doing podcasting, and this includes, I think, lots of people who want to do community podcasting, which gets lost in the mix, as we often argue, because the podcast charts, such as they are, when you go to iTunes, when you go to Apple Podcasts, you see what's popular. iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Are biased nationally. But the Apple iTunes podcast top 100 or top 10 is still a super dominant force in, in knowing what's popular. And I, and I think it's not a super dominant force for the public. Right. It, what it tends to be is a super dominant force for people who are podcasters or want to be podcasters. Yeah. And, and the reason why I draw this distinction is because that's not going to – I think that's not really the way in which somebody who doesn't know much about podcasts gets into podcasting. The way that someone who doesn't know much about podcasting is – uh, gets in is they read an article about a podcast that sounds interesting. They see it on their local TV news, something yeah. about a podcast. They see a podcaster on uh, the tonight show, you know, or, or another talk show, a friend tells them, Oh yeah. my God, you have to hear this it- or somebody they like a celebrity, 
you know, of sorts, an influencer as they're known, starts a podcast or tells them about a podcast. And isn't like Spotify doing a good job now because like so many people who who are music aficionados and and lived in in that app that was how they streamed all of the music in their lives. Yeah, Spotify now has podcasts. And in since it, yeah. Spotify has a podcast uh, it's, channel, it's it's brought some new podcast quickly, people right? in. And but some but, new listeners into the fold. The reason I make this point, right, is that for you for community-minded right. podcasters, okay. So then and community might be local community, maybe geographic community, community may be more uh interest-based. Right. It may be based upon identity. Yeah. Just in case we have some new listeners to Radio Survivor, community podcasting here on Radio Survivor to us always means uh, Bainbridge Island community well, to radio. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, which, which is a podcast project that, that exists instead of being a community radio station. They would, be- bring, they would bring local people into their radio studios to record podcasts on extremely local matters. One, one little town, uh, you know, the librarians, the bookstore owners, the artists, the high school students, all podcasting together and then distributing it just just like any other podcast, just like Serial. But treating it like it's as if it were a community radio station. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just utterly time shifted. But the reason, I, again, I'm bringing this up is because I think it reinforces this notion that if you want to serve a community with a podcast that – Go out there and make sure the community knows about the podcast. Yeah. Because I think it's still drilled into us from all these years on radio, especially those of us who come from radio, that the way people find something is that they tune a dial. It just shows up and they decide to listen to it, right? And then we might have a sense of like, oh, sure, I should do some promotion. But so often uh, when I talk with people doing community podcasting and want advice, they ask me, oh, should I buy Facebook ads? Should I buy Google ads? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you no. But before you do that, are you sure that people who might like your show know about it? And and I will say, in your in, in your town, where you can most easily and most cheaply reach people, you know, because it, it's relatively inexpensive to make business cards, print up flyers, write photocopy flyers, to always have them on you, if if or pin them up in coffee shops, or you know, if you're doing you know a show about music, go to the record store. If you're doing a show about uh, gaming, to go to the gaming stores. You know, pick your topic and making sure and 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 the same grassroots way that you would do it if you were a local band throwing a show. Are you getting out there making sure people who might want it, who might be interested know about it and, and, and making sure that if they don't know about podcasts or they're, they, you know, they know about it, but they haven't listened, right. That you're giving them a leg up saying, no, go to my website and there's a player click play. Yeah. It's not hard, right? Cause most people can do that on their smartphone on, you know, and another thing Tom Edison talked about, and I think this is sort of growing in the industry as well, right? So we talk about subscribe to our podcast and what they found is that's a confusing term. Oh, funny, right? Because when you subscribe to something, what, what's the assumption, Jennifer, how, when you think yeah. uh, if you were subscribed, right? Yeah. Yeah. A subscription to a newspaper. I subscribe to Netflix. I subscribe to a newspaper. Yeah. I subscribe to HBO. Um, it I sounds subscribe like to a, a magazine. It sounds like a big commitment. Right, and that's, exactly. And, who, and is that an Apple, an no. Apple choice subscribe button? No. Was that just the inventor of RSS? That is. That's that. Right. That is because you're really just sort legacy. of bookmarking, which isn't that much of a commitment. Right. Yeah. 
It, it, That's interesting that that language creates such a barrier. It's amazing, right? And it's a technical glitch, if you will, right? It's, just, it's because it's the guy that wrote the code in 1991 or whatever. Not, not, yeah, a little later than that, but <laughs> um, right because the technology because we're we have to go back to an early time in the internet when people would make websites for themselves and make blogs for themselves right so that's where it, yeah it comes and from you a would, blog and, and the culture. idea was that okay well you know if i want to read all these things i have to sort of bookmark them and go to them but i'll go to this guy's blog all the time and he hasn't updated it and she hasn't updated her website yeah uh when do i know and they thought well what if each site would publish this sort of uh th- like thumbnail really, of really what's there simple syndication really simple syndication and i had a program that would go out and pull it every so often and so then if they had a new article up if she'd written a new blog post i could read it and i wouldn't have to just check our website all the time i would know and then they said well what if we added audio files to it oh i see but they used the word subscribe right because it was a simple way for people then to understand oh i'm subscribing to your feed right but now of course in in you know now 15 nearly 20 years later we now have these ideas of like follow, right? Which comes from social media. I follow right. someone on twi- Twitter. I follow someone on Instagram. Subscribing costs money. Following is friends. Free. Exactly. And, and so to stop talking, the advice is stop talking about subscribing and saying you can just listen here. And really, and this is advice I give to, to you know, new podcasters all the time. Have your own website. Yeah. Have your own website where someone can just go and listen. When we say go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, we know right there you will see all the episodes. You click on one, and then there's a player you click on in your browser. And if you want to listen in an app like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher um, or Overcast or any other thing, it's there. You will find us. We make sure to get our shows listed in all these apps. Um, so if you're already familiar with podcasting from that standpoint and use a podcast listening app, you'll find us and we're easy to find. But also if someone is just hearing this for the first time on the radio and is hearing us talk about past episodes and we tell them they can hear it at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, you can go to that link. In your browser, on your phone, it'll work. It'll work on Android. It'll work on iOS. It'll work on your computer. It'll work on your tablet. And go listen to us now. And you don't have to make a commitment. Now, believe me, we'd love it if you would. (laughs) But really, if you think about all the other media in our world, especially electronic media, unless you're sort of subscribing to a platform like Netflix or HBO, like you, even in Netflix, you don't subscribe to shows. You just start watching them. And then, yes, the app starts telling you, oh, you shows you've watched, you might want to watch the next episode of, of this thing, of yeah. Orange is a New Black or something. But you don't actually go in. And you can sometimes favorite things. You know, you know where you do subscribe for free? On YouTube. Yeah. I would say that. And, and that click, is the click, one place. Click like and subscribe. Is, uh-huh. uh, I'm going to have click. Please click like and subscribe and put a comment um, below in the uh, on my. And I think the only reason that that is less confusing and Jennifer, you can be a check on this. Please, please tell me if I'm right or wrong is because YouTube is a completely closed system, right? Right. You don't watch YouTube outside of YouTube. Whereas podcasts is an open ecosystem. You can listen to podcasts in a browser and an app all over the place. Jennifer, what does that make sense to you? Yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, 
maybe YouTube is just so familiar to people at this point. And I don't know if there's a difference between visual versus audio that yeah. makes you think about it differently. Um, but I think that would be really interesting to unpack. I'm not sure if I totally know why we mm-hmm. don't think of something like YouTube as a paid subscription. Yeah, and I think that I'm going to guess. I don't know. So I, I, I've not done a research and all the data on this. I'm going to guess that a lot of YouTube users, casual YouTube users, don't subscribe. Right. Because they don't really understand what's well, the benefit. If they did, those the, the these professional YouTubers wouldn't beg at the end of every yeah. episode. Right. And 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 it's and it's unclear to me their knees how the subscription ben- I mean the subscription doesn't give them any extra money. It, it when I subscribe to something a channel on YouTube, I see it when I go to YouTube more frequently, yeah. but also YouTube constantly serves up all sorts of stuff just related to something I watched the other day, whether or not I've subscribed. Yeah. You and, know. and I know that also um, people in the professional YouTube community um, are constantly adapting to changes that the YouTube corporation will make in that subscription algorithm. It's not, it's not as clear that you're getting delivered each episode the way that subscribing to a podcast is clear. Because it's a closed system with yeah. one party in control. Like the Facebook algorithm, it's not so clear if you click like on the Radio Survivor Facebook page whether or not you're going to see any, let alone all, of the Radio Survivor Facebook page posts. And, and it's interesting. Not, but, you, not, but you will get every episode of Radio Survivor if you click subscribe in your podcast app. Yeah. And the interesting thing is in Stitcher, it does not use the word subscribe. Yeah. It uses the word, it uses favorite. Favorite. So you favorite. But what if it's not my favorite? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to argue that point. <laughs> you know, and that's not me. I'm not, you know. I'm there are many kidding. great podcast apps out there. This is the one where I tend to, where I happen to work, um, you know, and other, other apps use different paradigms as well. Yeah. But um, it, it's interesting to think that there should be, yeah, that the word we, we've, we've taken a long journey just to say that the word subscribe, which has become the, uh, dare I say industry standard for follow my podcast might be turning off might be millions of potential listeners. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, you know, the takeaway for me then, and, and you know, there are many takeaways from this conference, but the big ones, and this also comes from podcast talking to people, movement, the conference, the podcast movement, the podcast industry, yeah. leading podcast, thousands of podcasters, people from the podcast industry descended on Philadelphia at the end of July. Um, is that there's a great opportunity still? There's many millions more people in the United States and elsewhere who are who are a new audience potentially for podcasts. And a lot of those people are people who like the same things you do, care about the same things you do, care about their communities. And the reason they're not listening to your podcast or a podcast isn't because uh, they're not inherently interested. It's that with, with anything, people have to understand it. And so part of the job I think we have as community podcasters and community radio people, which I think it has always been there, is to help people understand what it is we do. Going back now 20 years when I was working in a community radio station in Illinois, we had, we had a, a uh, I think it was monthly newspaper we put out. Yeah. Print that we put out for free. It was like a program guide, but it would also have like feature articles about musicians and other things going on in the community. And I wrote a series called What is Weft? The, the radio station is WEFT. What is Weft? Because it was my intuition when I would talk with people who weren't kind of in that core community that people didn't get it. 
people did not understand community radio. They didn't understand this idea that I tune in Monday at six and I get one show and I tune in Friday at six. I get a different show. Sometimes it's talk. Sometimes it's music. And who are these people? Because radio I know is this station plays country. This station plays pop. This place station plays classic yeah, not rock. Not to this mention station talks. if you like a show, it's on every day. Of yeah, the weekday right. at the same time. Exactly. If I want to hear Tom Hartman, he's on at the same time every day. If I want to hear Rush Limbaugh, he's on at the same time every day. And I was like, I think we 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 forget to explain ourselves. We yeah. forget to get or give people the way in, right? And, and and those are two different ideas. Explaining ourselves is helping people understand. Giving people the way in means often for community radio stations, there are flagship shows that just happen. Shows that tend to turn out to be more popular than others. And those are the way in, right? Those are the shows that people hear about and they hear about this show that you have to hear Saturday at six or the show you have to hear Tuesday at 3 p.m. And more people tune in and maybe they stick around. And what we forget sometimes is those are the shows then where we, sh- we should introduce ourselves. We should make sure that we're that in that show, hmm. we're telling people what we're about, giving them another way, a reason to stay tuned in, a reason to stick around. This is advice for community radio specifically now. But yeah, but also, I mean, same thing for podcasts. Giving people a reason to come back, making sure they understand what's going on, make sure they get a sense for what your show is. Radio Survivor is a podcast and radio program in which we nerd out about volunteer-produced radio content. So there's a great opportunity for people who want to create podcasts. And this can include community radio stations, turning your existing shows into podcasts, mm. talk shows, yeah. or sometimes workshopping shows as podcasts before they go on air, giving because you have no limit of airtime on podcasts, right? You could have an, ostensibly an, uh, an infinite number of them where you don't have an infinite amount of airtime because there may be topics that work better on podcasts or are harder to program on radio because of the sensitivity of the topic, um, because uh, in FCC rules or, you know, when you would have to put it on in the middle of the night, it might not be get as many listeners as it can as a podcast all sorts of other reasons that there's a great opportunity but it's still up to us to be to help people understand these media community radio you could say the same thing about community television public access television i think you could say the same thing about even community television on youtube community-minded programming on youtube uh, that it still needs to be explained i think that's that's my biggest takeaway from from podcast movement. From podcast movement. Uh, much more went on. I'll link to an article uh, that Tom Webster from Edison Research wrote about his findings, about talking with folks who are not podcast listeners, about why they don't listen to podcasts. It's really fascinating reading. He shares a lot of great data. I'll put a link to uh, podcast movement stuff in the show notes as well. Radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We are on episode number 155. And you can learn more at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love to know what you think. Um, are you a podcaster? Are you thinking about podcasting? Are you a community radio person who's trying to trying to see if they should be podcasting in addition to doing community radio? Drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Jennifer, wait. Uh, yes. You are our, our intrepid <laughs> radio tourist uh, visiting radio stations and radio yeah. events. Everywhere, but you you live in the in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you recently had the opportunity to attend Radio Day by the Bay. Can you tell us what is this event? It's pretty much 
a celebration of radio. It's a fundraiser for the California Historical Radio Society. So this is their big event of the year where they invite people to their headquarters and they have a lot of radio-themed activities. It takes place um, in Alameda where they're building their their new location, which is going to be a museum. Um, so they purchased the location a few years ago and they're in the process of all sorts of renovation. So Radio Day by the Bay, which happens in July every year, is the one opportunity right now to get a glimpse of this museum in process. Mm. Um, so they have they have big radio auctions. Uh, so these are like antique, old, these are antique and vintage radios. Yeah, some pretty incredible vintage radios. Um, so they have a massive live auction. They have silent auctions. They have a kind of a electronics gear. Um, it's not a garage sale. That's not the right. It's like a, they have a bunch of electronics gear. Flea market. Um, flea market. That's what it is. So that's they also have a not flea- the best. <laughs> they have, um, you know, a lot of lower price gear that you can just purchase. Um, and then in addition to that, they have performances. So old time music, um, a live radio drama presentation, uh, which is one of my favorite things to see, you know, complete with somebody doing, uh, serving as a Foley artist. Doing oh, sound oh, really? Effects. What was this year's drama about? So uh, it was called Pat Novak, um, Pat Novak for Hire. So it was a kind of a murder mystery. Oh, like um, kind of like radio noir kind of style? Yeah, and it, and it had a San Francisco setting. So that was kind of mm-hmm. cool um, to you know, see something on stage that's talking about San Francisco and a lot of, a lot of great voices. Um, so it was kind of a team, uh, of, um, of radio personalities and, and, and people who have acting chops, uh, were on stage. So it was quite entertaining as well. Um, so, so yeah, in one building, um, the Alameda, Veterans Building is where they had live music and the live radio drama and then also live auction. And then over at what they call Radio Central, where they're building the California Historical Radio Society's museum. Um, over there, you can see displays of vintage radios. You could see their ham radio station. You could see their workshop where people you know, work on fixing up radios uh, they also had food. Um, so it, it was definitely radio nerd arama. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been to these events in the past, but I particularly love kind of the old timey feel of the old time music and the live radio. Drama. So, so this is not just, the, the event that's going to prove that that radio is a, uh, <laughs> a the, the the millennials medium. <laughs> except, except I'm going to make a. I don't say now. that pejoratively. But, I'm just laughing. But I'm but I'm going to make. Uh, I'm going to make a connection to yeah. to podcasting, to the future of podcasting, and the and the history of radio. In as much that you know, we've we've recently here on Radio Survivor uh, discovered, which means uh, found out about something that was going on outside of our outside of the, our field division, and then realized how excited we were that a group of people were doing something that surprised us. We discovered that radio drama. Uh, as it was done in the history of radio, uh, you know, in the 30s and 40s, which was what was being celebrated at, at um, Radio by the Bay, as Jennifer just described it, that radio drama is quite possibly really the future of podcasting. 
that scripted narrative radio that is being created by multiple artists and and highly crafted really the opposite end of the spectrum of uh three dudes just talking about whatever into microphones um that that is where podcasts are going absolutely and and i think someone who was there probably found a lot of inspiration yeah and it's definitely an entry point for some people right into well, in both directions, really. Um, you know, you might find people who are listening to things that are akin to radio drama as podcasts, and that might turn them on to the whole history of radio drama. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so exciting to me because I know growing up as a kid, I thought of radio. I, I was vaguely aware that radio drama existed in the eighties and nineties, but I really thought about it as well. This is just something that people did because television hadn't been invented yet, and it's not we don't need it anymore we don't need we don't need stories made up we don't need ear movies anymore because we have actual tell we have stories that are better and i i actually now know you know people like listening well the listening changed yeah listening changed right i think well and go yeah. ahead jennifer and this is uh you know for me i've seen a few live radio dramas and I'm somebody who likes behind the scenes stuff. You know, I love to see how things are made. And I think it's fascinating to watch, you know, watch these people on stage and then hear voices come out of them that you don't expect to hear is very interesting. And then it's very interesting to see how all the sound effects are made. And so that's something that's unique to radio drama and and something that you don't get watching television for example Mm -hmm. so i i love seeing you know the production playing out on stage um and so that's part of what i think is fascinating about the annual radio drama they do at radio day by the bay and and i don't know if i've talked about on the podcast before but um i saw a live radio drama being done in chicago uh the show unshackled uh which is Hmm. it's a christian Oh, yes. You did not talk about it on the podcast. You've certainly written about it for yeah. Radio Survivor. I, yeah, we need to talk about this I discovered on the Unshackled back in the real audio streaming days of the early aughts. So, so Jennifer, what is Unshackled? So it's real life, real life tales of redemption, basically. And it's, it's produced by um, a mission, uh, a Christian mission in Chicago, and which is, uh, you know, it's a shelter where people can come and get, get food and shelter. Um, and part of their, part of their outreach, part of their, um, evangelism of their religion is yeah. this long running radio drama. And, what, and so people what, actually write in and, and tell their stories about how they found God and it gets, and these stories get written up as these episodes that are, Quite salacious, actually, yeah. I might add. It's like uh, definitely PG, if not PG 13, 14, maybe even R at times. Um, because some of these are really hard scrapple tales, real life tales of people's lives about yeah. drug addiction and um, violence and um, and how people have found God and... What's but really, it's been going I, on a very long time. Yeah, and what's really interesting a very about long time. what's really interesting about this radio show to me is that when all of this um all of these tools of storytelling sort of represent, as I was saying, like a, an entirely different decade, decades prior to television for the most part, you know, the history of radio drama, mostly all 
was something that was prior to the 50s. But here on this radio drama, Unshackled, uh, it, it reminds you of those times when you listen to it. It sounds like a uh, hokey radio st- drama, but then they're talking about stuff that occurred in the eighties and nineties and aughts. It's a, it's a new, it's a new story. And especially prior to, um, all of these new podcasts coming out that are radio drama related and sort of redefining what it meant to be in, to do narrative storytelling for your ears. Uh, Unshackled was, was the only game in town really of telling it, it new wasn't stories. a whole lot of it. Yeah. There's, I mean, there was yeah. definitely other radio dramas being distributed right, locally. Uh, no, no syndicated. Yeah. There were right. definitely syndicated radio, American radio dramas in right. the nineties. Right. 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 And then um, the fire, fire sign theater is another one that I think my father would be yelling at me if I, well, that was, yeah, yeah. It. From the seventies, but uh, kind of a point I wanted to make about listening, changing, right. I think is that is the smartphone. Because what happened, I think, is we think about the reason why you thought of radio dramas old timey is that that was when people gathered around the radio. There wasn't yep. a television, right? And people didn't really have personal electronics in the pre-television era. And, and then even in the television era until probably the 80s, there wasn't a lot of personal electronics. Maybe you had your own radio, yes, but that was mostly for music and background. It was speaker-driven. Right. And people didn't gather around the radio so much, but they gathered around the television still much of the time. And with the emer- uh, sort of invention of the smartphone, we sort of brought back personal audio in a, in a way. Right. So we had Walkman and Discman and things to listen to music. But the idea that I would sort of have a whole anthology of radio drama on cassette or something was niche. Yeah. You'd have to be a huge nerd. I have to be a huge. I nerd. have those cassettes. Yeah. Right. The, and no, you the could, science fiction. Exactly. The science fiction stories from the forties. Right. On cassette. But you know, because of the fact that that stuff, you tend to only arch Obler, you tend Sorry. to consume it once. Right. You don't tend to listen to it over and over and over again. People do, but the tendency is to consume it once. Yeah. Um, and so it's not so convenient on a CD or a cassette. But I think once we, we now have the smartphone and you can have audio accompany you in lots of places where maybe you didn't used to, or if you did, it was pretty much only music, maybe books on tape. And it's easy to get it to somebody because they don't have to have a cassette. They don't have to have a CD, right? That's why maybe radio drama is emergent again, right? And so it comes out of the old timey sense because people want to tell stories. They want to tell narratives. And they're figuring out, oh, wait, to do it in a podcast form is significantly cheaper even than shooting kind of a low-budget YouTube video. Yeah. It's easier and it's, it's easier more accessible. And people will listen to it in their cars. They will listen to it on their commute. They'll listen to it at the gym. They'll listen to it while doing chores. You know, they'll listen to it while during on a run. Because uh, it's very easy to do so, and it and and that brings more people into it. I think as well it, what we what we learned, you and I, uh, when we went to the PodCon yeah. in Seattle last year, was that it's being uh, taken on by lots of young people uh, with identities that would have been excluded yeah. in the past. Paul, Paul Reese Mandel and I, uh, my name is Eric Klein. We traveled uh, almost coincidentally. We made our way up to Seattle to a podcasting conference there. And we're um, so delighted to find out that so many people, um, people that were younger than us, people in their 30s. And were, 20s. Yeah, were, were passionate about storytelling 
for podcasts. We're passionate yeah. about producing radio dramas. Uh, a lot of people in the audience there at this very well-attended conference in a convention center in Seattle were fans of existing narrative storytelling podcasts, and every single one of them, as near as I could tell, were bursting with stories that they needed to get told. And were either producing podcasts or getting yeah, ready about to, do to produce so. uh, yeah. radio drama, and so. It, it was clear to me that at some point in the near future, um, it was going to become a cliche that radio drama was going to be reinvented for the podcasting audience. It was no longer going to be um, something that grandpa and his family listened to on the radio uh, back before TV was invented, but it was the future of storytelling. So, so we have exciting. stuff about this on the podcast. We'll put that in our show notes, uh, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. So Jennifer, you've been telling us about uh, Radio Day by the Bay, Radio which happened Day in Alameda, California. Um, and we got a little sidetracked because you talked about radio drama. And we got excited. But I know. Uh, the question I had for radio you, drama I mean, is exciting. you know, is how many people are there roughly? I mean, you know, is it, this, is, this is a crowded event. Lots of people who are really excited about radio. Yeah, um, so nearly 400 people were there, you know, spread across these two buildings that had different events. Mm -hmm. So it definitely felt like a good crowd. um, And, you know, it proves to be a good fundraiser. You know, they I know they met their goals for the year. Um, So they definitely got a lot of people through the buildings, um, checking things out, buying radios, buying treasures (laughs) from the um, from the flea market. So it sounds like Ish. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I brought I brought my daughter and brought another friend, and um, I think my daughter was a bit dubious. Like, you're bringing other people to this weird radio event. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was your weird thing, Mom. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but you know, I think sometimes people. Um, it's nice for people to just check out a scene that is completely unfamiliar to them, mm-hmm. and and I think the vintage radio scene as you know we talked about this a bit um on the podcast when i talked about the radio exhibit at the san francisco airport yeah, a lot these, of the radios such, were donated these, these beautiful um objects that were highly designed um beautiful antiques now uh because because radios used to be used to be really really cool and so so people yeah. people devoted their entire uh, uh, design careers to making uh, really, really beautiful radios for people to both enjoy to look at and to use to listen. So that exhibit, um, a lot of pieces are have been lent by members of the California Historical Radio Society. Um, but that exhibit kind of points out that there are a lot of ways to get people interested in radio. Some people might come at it from a design perspective. Some people might be interested in the history of electronics. Um, you know, so I think, I think there are more people who, who might have a connection to something like the California Historical Radio Society or this exhibit at the airport, um, than realize it. And, and it kind of comes back to what Paul was talking about, about podcasts and, you know, letting your community know and Mm. letting these different communities know, like, Hey, there's the story of Silicon Valley in this exhibit, really. Yeah. Or at California historical radio society. This is the whole history of technology here with vacuum tubes and, um, you know, radio made a lot of things possible. So, you know, to me, it's just a glimpse at, at so much. And, and I sort of wish more people kind of appreciated radio history and were aware of it. And, um, 
and I, and I think they do have challenges, although they have members, they do have some teenage members, um, which is great in the California Historical Radio Society. You know, I, I think they do have challenges kind of getting the word out that this is, this should be of interest to people of all ages, um, you know, not just longtime radio professionals. Mm-hmm. So that would be my plea here, too, is, um, you know, to, to think about looking into radio historical societies in your town and check out check out what's there and there or might be start things one yourself start one yourself <laughs> you know i mean this is how these things happen it's two two maybe three people get together and say hey uh i'm interested in this you're interested in this maybe we should join forces and make it bigger and I mean, that's how community radio stations get started. That's how podcasts get started. That's how many. That's how, that's how great shows things. on community radio stations get started. Alternative as well. weeklies, even. It's, there's a great history there. And this happens every July in Alameda. Every July. Okay. Yep. Well, and, and if you're reading Radio Survivor, Jennifer always alerts you to it at radiosurvivor.com. So we'll make sure you know about it. And if you're in the Bay Area, it's a, it's a must see. And maybe, maybe it's worth traveling for. In, yes. in taking in a lovely vacation in the San Francisco area. We are Radio Survivor. With me is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. Jennifer Waits, who just Hello. told us about Radio Day by the Bay. And I am Paul Reismandel. And our last topic for today's episode is the Princeton Review. Jennifer. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I will ask you. I think yeah. I ask you this question every year. But... The Princeton Review uh, yeah, they, releases a list uh, of the top college radio stations of, in the country. Know, it's for families who are sending a, a, a student off to college to judge colleges by. I guess, yes. I mean, that's, that's what uh, this So this place, list of top the, college radio stations. Um, it, it's, a, it's, not, it's not the main event for the Princeton Review. I, right. Should I? Correct. How much... Credibility. How much should I believe this list? Are these really the best college <laughs> well, radio stations in the country? Because the Princeton Review, which is ranking colleges under all sorts of categories for for these families uh, looking into applying, uh, way down the list of the things that they rank is college radio stations. Quite possibly right. at the bottom of, of things that they rank. I'm imagining like swimming pools and radio stations are down there somewhere. Yeah, I mean it's. Um you know, so there it's this year it's called the Princeton Review Best 384 Colleges. That's the name of the publication. It's called the 2019 edition, which is a bit confusing, but we're looking at the 2019 results. So the 2019 um, academic year. Yeah, seems. because that's when the students who who are buying this uh, product would be uh, going to starting to, yeah. starting their freshman well, that year. Makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, within within this book that has all kinds of interesting lists, um, there's a list called the best college radio station list and it has 20 schools on it, not stations. Um, and it's based on student surveys. So that's what I think is important. Well, there are a few things that are important to note. This is surveys of students at 384 colleges, which is, less than 10% of the whole universe of colleges in the United States. So the stations that make the list or the schools that make the list have to be at these 384 colleges. So it's really a microcosm of the college scene. And it's also a microcosm of the college radio scene. 
And probably, you know, I don't know what percentage of these 384 colleges have radio stations, so probably not all of them. Um, so it's 138,000 students that are asked questions. Um, and they're asked about, the reason I started writing and scrutinizing this was um, oh so many years ago, I started writing about this in 2008, was I really think it's important to kind of look beneath the surface anytime you see a list that says something like best college radio stations. You know, I, I want to know why, you know, how did this list come to be? Well, and the reason that the reason Jennifer, you, you care about this list at all is, um, uh, official rankings of college radio in the United States of America are very few and far between this, this Princeton list, um, just by default is maybe one of the most important rankings of college radio, Exactly. Even though it's not actually a ranking of any given station, which is, you know, sort of interesting, you know. So in the last, so the um, the results this year are based on three academic years worth of data. And in two of the years, the survey asks, how much do you agree or disagree with the following statements at your school? And among the list of statements is college radio station is popular. And so you're asked to strongly agree, disagree, or strongly disagree, disagree, neither agree or disagree, agree or strongly agree. So, so students are asked basically like, how popular is your radio station? How popular do you think so, your so radio station is? So that's interesting, Jennifer. That's interesting because <laughs> I'm looking at this list right now that you, you you shared with us, and what I get from it, with only a couple of exceptions, most of the colleges on in this top twenty are small. Some of them are very small. Uh, I look at, so the number one, Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York. Very small college. Number two, Emerson College in Boston. A small college. St. Bonaventure University. A small college. And you think about it, a college radio station probably has an upper limit of how many people can be involved. And the smaller the college, (laughs) right, the more likely you're caught that college radio station has a high percentage of the student body involved. Right. Yeah. And so that notion that you, that it would be popular. Well, if you more likely to know somebody or be at, at the, at the college radio station, yeah. it will feel more popular. Now an outlier here is number four, which is Arizona state university, which is an enormous university, 50,000 mm-hmm. students or more. Um, and it's an AM station. Which is which is all the more interesting to me there. Although they may not actually be on AM anymore. Um, oh, okay. By the by, um, I believe that that AM sig- signal has gone by the wayside, um, and so I'm not sure a, that their stream is working right now. Hmm, so weird. this is another caveat to all of this: is that there are a couple schools on here where there well, are maybe, maybe it's streams. the semester hasn't started yet here in August. But I take your point here, right? Is that they're asking. A student to sort of self assess is you, is it popular and and without yeah. is it popular on campus is it popular in the world right is it popular well, in and, our and city? what does that mean yeah um, and so and so the uh, the results get labeled as best college radio stations so I think that's that's really why I started writing about this because I was confused as to why this was the best college radio station list yeah. when students are asked about popularity. Um, and and Princeton Review does not list stations, right? They list the schools. So you so have to go I, and do that work. 
I go and do that work. Huh. And another thing I've found is that a number of schools on the list have multiple radio stations, mm. which also to me, it makes sense. Like if call if radio is seen to be popular on campus, it seems likely that campuses that have two or three radio stations might people might think radio is popular or here. has a public radio station. Exactly. It's very common for universities to operate a public radio station. Right. And if the NPR affiliate in your town is your college's radio station, that might be perceived. You, you as might more feel popular. right. You may not make that distinction between the uh, student run online station and, and the NPR affiliate that, that shows up in Nielsen ratings. And you're not, you're not asked about any particular station, so mm. it's up to you to kind of interpret that. So like Syracuse at number five has three radio stations. Ithaca College at number six has two radio stations. Um, Temple at number nine has two radio stations. So, you know, there are, there are a number of, of, these station, of these schools on here that have multiple radio stations. Um, Emerson College also has two radio stations, an FM station and an online station. Right. So these are some of the things I've kind of sussed out is, you know, remember that this is a question about popularity, first of all. And remember that it's student reports. So you're asking students to speculate about how popular the radio station is. And does that equate to the best radio stations in the country? Right. I don't really know. Like, in my mind, like popularity doesn't necessarily equal best. Um, but this is something that's a feather in the cap of stations. It can say, you know, we've been on the Princeton Review best college radio station list for X number of years. Um, and it, you know, and I, and I hate to be kind of like the, the person poking holes in something that that helps uh, college radio stations bring attention to their station. You know, I think, you know, if, if the station that I was at was on this list, I would tout it as well. Yeah, because, of course. you know, you use whatever is out there to help kind of draw attention right. well, to your radio station. I have, and I have there two questions for you, Jennifer. Yes. One, if you were going to help uh, the Princeton review ask one question that was better designed to, <sighs> to float to the top, the kinds of stations that you think uh, should be considered among the best. We know here on Radio Survivor that you're not a big fan of number one rankings, uh, which we love. It, it, you know, places like radio stations should be clustered at the top, not not uh, ranked with one. You know, one sitting atop the others. We, you know, there are great stations. There are multiple great stations. But what's the right question to ask? Ah, uh, I don't know. And and yeah, I, I mean, I never want to write a list like this. So, <laughs> well, maybe there's a framing. Well, it's a framing student problem. involvement. Yeah, that's what I would wonder. Is that you know the you could perhaps frame it as uh, right the the campus radio stations with the most student involvement, and you could sort right. of interpret that a number of different ways. And you could ask you know so a student. I mean, again, you still have to do it in this kind of perceptual kind of way. You know, do you consider how you know how likely is it you consider your that there that there is a lot of involvement student involvement in right. your campus radio because station. people might not be aware that there are campus radio stations where if you are a freshman student um there is no chance there's zero chance well, you especially will, if it's a public radio you station. will ever get in the door of that station to become yeah. a part of it to help with it to learn about how to make radio and there are campus radio stations that are from the ground up designed 
to bring in so that's useful students. information if I'm a prospective student. Yeah. Could it, you know, right. if I'm at Syracuse uh, University, I'm not probably going to get involved with WAER uh, because it's playing All Things Considered. And you the might world. get to be an intern if you're if you're lucky, but it's not the kind of place where you're right. going to learn how to be exactly. on the radio. Exactly. So you know, there's so many layers of complexity, and I'm going to complicate this even more because. You know, often I'll visit college radio stations where students will say, yeah, most people on this campus aren't even aware that, that we're here, that there's a college radio station here. And, and I've kind of wondered about the Princeton Review list. Like, I wonder, is it possible that a school could actually make it on the list that doesn't even have a radio station? You know, <laughs> like, and because they think they would you. double check that. You'd think, and maybe, maybe they do. Um, but I, you know, I remember in high school when a non-existent person won a student council election. You know, like a soap opera actress won. So. So you kind of wonder about that, and and, and maybe I, wonder, I should can ask. You game this. Yeah. I mean, I wondered: is there when right. the, when the surveys when the surveys go out? You put up flyers do, on campus. Saying, do people like, know about it? Vote, <laughs> right? Vote I mean, Pedro. You know, it, I wonder about that. I mean, I yeah, have no so, idea. I've never seen one, and when I was in college, I never saw one. But uh, it, it's possible. So yeah. it would be. I think I would be more interested in like finding out if they ask. Or it would be more interesting to me to ask, is there a college radio station? And and then like double checking to see if if people got that right. Um, yeah, you need to have red herring questions. Well, Jennifer, you're you're a person who went to went to college and fell in love with college radio because of the college radio station that you had the opportunity to be involved with. You right. are a, a parent of a young person who in. Um, a number of years that are not too many is going to be going off to college and might be interested in college radio. And also, um, you have visited countless. We have counted actually, so I shouldn't say countless. You have visited um, what a is lot. the number at? <laughs> a lot. Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, 100? the number includes other stations too. So over a hundred plus. Yeah, uh, college radio stations. Visited them, toured them, met the people that worked there, written about them posted pictures on radiosurvivor.com and then talked about those radio station visits, college radio station visits here on our program, Radio Survivor. So um, you're well qualified to give advice to students who are going to school in 2019, (laughs) as well as their families who might be helping them pick a school. And if they're the kinds of people that would uh, enjoy or benefit from being involved in their college radio station, what, what should they be looking for when they visit a campus? Well, you know what's funny? Despite the shortcomings of this list, I've actually been to stations at eight of the 20 schools. Um, And there are interesting stations on this list. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, stations that I think are fantastic stations and stations that would be great if you were a student going to school. Um, But, you know, everybody has kind of different needs. And, you know, I, I come from a small liberal arts school background, so... College radio plays a different role there. Um, I went to grad school in Ohio, and and that's where involvement at my college radio station made me realize just how important college radio is for a small town. And I was really impressed with the connection with the community there. So, and and I don't pick favorites when I visit stations. You know, I see the benefits of different kinds of stations on different campuses. You know, some kids are very pre-professional, so there are certain stations that are going to be more appropriate for them, and 
And for some people, having a connection to a public radio station on campus can be a real coup. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, you know, we talked on the podcast about the station at Fordham, which, um, you know, feels largely like a professional public radio station, but they have a huge number of students who are involved. Yeah, they um, really do it right. You know, in all aspects, and and that really a link in the show notes to that episode mm-hmm. where we talked about uh, Fordham. What what college is that? Fordham, uh, Fordham University. Fordham. Yeah, so that's WFUV there um, in the Bronx, and that really opened that really opened my eyes. Because um, they're doing the news possibilities, radio, correct? Wasn't that- oh, and they have music shows. Okay. Um, they have a lot of music programming, and a lot of students they are involved do all of it. That's, in video production. That's another interesting thing that that students or families of students should be aware of if they're if they're interested in learning about radio. Is there's it's like it's are, are you talking about radio journalism, like a national public radio model of what radio is? Are you talking about? Um, uh, the, the, the sorts of radio, Jennifer, that you do on a weekly basis where you spin records and talk about the music that you love. Um, it's, there's, 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 there's a lot of ways to, to make radio, and each radio station would be unique as, a, as a something that you might participate in as a student. So I guess knowing the differences between those is And it doesn't important. even, you know, like my college radio station as an undergrad was very under the radar um you know you can only really hear it in the dining hall and over carrier current am you know so it was not a station that would have ever made any of these lists but it was still a significant experience for me and for other people um and even in a station like that people are obtaining valuable leadership experience um you know interacting with the music industry you know so so many things so it's more than just kind of if it's the best or the most popular radio station. So that's why I sort of eschew these lists. I think a list like this is interesting because it's going to turn people on to some schools and some stations um, that are that are worth checking out. Um, but but the universe of college radio is you know hundreds and hundreds of stations all over the country. I, I want to grow Radio Survivor just enough so that in 2020 we have the Radio Survivor list of top top 20 college radio stations in the country and and it's a it's a survey designed by my my friends and colleagues here at radio survivor to get, <laughs> oh my god to get the but job you know i don't want right. to do that list <laughs> well there's it, it doesn't it doesn't happen without a tremendous oh yeah not only do you not want it to happen at all because <laughs> like this is primary barrier gosh well okay well first and foremost our list would not be ranked top to bottom it would be a cluster of honorable I think the mentions thing to work on right? is that frankly 50 just, great radio stations is that there is a, a list of the stations period yeah that's what we've <laughs> again talk- that's more what we've labor to- that we need yes to- well if you'd like yeah, to that's learn- what we've talked about is like yeah the overall list of college radio mm-hmm. stations is something i kind of I work on behind the scenes do people know? that I haven't do, published. Do listeners to Radio Survivor realize that there is not a list, right? There's no list. But here, here's the thing. If, if you're intrigued at all, if you're intrigued at all about college radio and want to learn more, you can at radiosurvivor.com because if you just want to learn about background and, and a little bit of history because and a little bit of the, the present. Because of the work that Jennifer has done over the years. Click, yeah, click on learn more up in our menu and it will be learn more about college radio. And there will be links that will take you to Jennifer's 100 plus 
tours of college radio stations. It's it's not a complete list of stations around the world, but it might around be one of the best lists around. But and and what it provides, in addition to just list, is that if there is a college you're interested in, you will get way more context and you'll learn way more about that station than you will anywhere else by clicking through and reading, and you will learn what do students do there. How do you get involved? What kind of programming there is? And I think that that it is a directory of sorts of being able to go and see. It's, you know, not, it's not comprehensive, but it's pretty there's fascinating. A lot, there's a lot. A friend there. of mine was using those with his with his uh, child on college on a college radio on um, college tours. Yep. <laughs> yeah, So it's funny. It's the alternative college tour. Well, you can you uh, know we it's the because indie, it's one way you it's evaluate the list. It's right. It's one way you evaluate colleges besides just the radio station. Is you you, you know sure the lists are fine, but you, you really want to know is a lot more context once you've narrowed down to like your your three or four top picks right you want to know much more about the college does my, not just the does list. my student have an opportunity to both volunteer at the station but maybe someday as they grow uh take leadership roles at the station yeah. or is the station being run by outside individuals right. that that are have no interest so here, in here's the information you can get and would you would you like us would you would you dear listener yeah. like us to publish a list our best possible list it of would never be a ranking are you know it would just maybe, be a cluster maybe we could break them down by certain criteria so yeah. that you would understand it uh you know again unranked but stations with heavy student involvement <laughs> stations never going to be a number run. one never, but ever. would you like us oh to God. do that let us know <laughs> drop us a line podcast at radio um also, you could you could drop us a line on Facebook. You could drop us a line by Twitter. Yeah, is there a college radio station that ha- that is not on Radio Survivors list yet, but you you know for a fact it should be on that list? Drop us a line. Oh yeah, I always am interested. You know, where should I visit? Okay, now I'm going to make a pitch. I'm, this is a note for you, Eric, in editing. I'm going to yeah. make a pitch that stays in the podcast but can't be on the radio. Because yep. this kind of work takes real labor. And Jennifer, in particular, has poured a lot of her sweat and shoe leather uh, and airline miles okay. and, and, I should and say, time like, in, into, into compiling this information. And it's work that Jennifer would does mm-hmm. without a wage. But uh, I, I, can't, I can't begin to – I'm smiling thinking about what, what would change in the work if, if there was – yeah, if if, if if Jennifer could turn down other work to do this work that they care about the most, like the list oh, of yeah. college radio stations that could be you know broken out by particular types by yeah. you know categories that would help someone really use it. We, just, we would destroy that's a, Princeton's that's list. That's a lot of work. <laughs> you could well, help yeah, us do no, it. I you, the listener, could help us do this. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Help us continue to produce this podcast. Help us to explore college and community radio, community podcasting, and lots of community media. And and we're sort of, you know, get into, we're like the Atlas Obscura of radio, finding yeah. interesting projects and shows that we think uh, deserve uh, more attention, deserve more ears, um, but also help us to expand what we do. We yeah. can provide more service to the world of community and college media, but we need you to do it. And you can sign up. You can sign up by Patreon uh, to give us a little bit of money every single month. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars 
goes a long way in part because it helps us to kind of expect what's coming and plan to do things down the line. But if you can't, we understand. We can also do a one-time contribution via PayPal. So just through uh, either your bank account or a credit card, you could give us a one-time donation, and we'd appreciate that as well. Right. We're we're working through. We're going to try and create some new rewards. And so anyone uh, who signs up now as we generate new rewards, you won't be left out. But please help us do this sort of work. We're sitting here talking about things that need to be done. We just need your help to do it. Radio Survivor, the the podcast and the website, is a labor of love for the people that contribute to it, for Matthew Lassar, for Jennifer Waits, for Paul Reese Mandel, and for myself, Eric Klein. It's work that we do and will continue to do uh, for zero dollars. It's trending towards zero. It's not It's not totally zero. But no, we have enough to kind of pay some basic bills so that we're not right. experiencing out of pocket costs on things like uh, hosting the podcast and our website and stuff, which which costs real money. But the truth of the matter is, is that the kind of work that Jennifer does to write, to research, to, 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 to photograph and to um, compile all this stuff, that's that's work that, that we all do um, because we want to. It's skilled labor, but though. But oh my gosh. Please don't take it for granted. But things would change significantly if if there was a day's wages Yes. In addition to that love. It allows um, us to do... It allows us to turn down other work. To do so much that's more. taking up other time. And, and to, do, to, 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 to switch that switch over to, uh, to actually focusing on, on this real work of, of Radio Survivor would be... Um, I think you would hear the difference. Yeah. I, know, I know that for a fact. I'd be able to devote more time to editing this podcast and, and there would be more field audio yeah. and more trips and more even more interviews because we could spend more time getting them arranged go yeah. to radiosurvivor.com slash support well jennifer uh once again thanks for breaking down the princeton reviews best college list and you've written this up of course at radiosurvivor.com of course. <laughs> uh, and of course you go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast which is episode number 155 and you can really dig in on most of these topics. We we try to keep comprehensive show notes. We don't want things to just pass by you. So if you want to learn more, uh, you can always go there to our website. And of course, drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Thank you, Eric. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Jennifer, for bringing us your reports. Yes, of course. And thanks to you, listening to us there on your local community radio station or over the podcast for spending another hour with us. Please follow our podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice. (laughs) 